uh, I'm the only one who has a forum here. So it's a pleasure to welcome everybody back. And uh, we'll be more or less on schedule now, and certainly until, uh, until our Pesach break. So um, I was looking in Pasha's Mishpatim to try to be able to figure out, you know, some sort of an angle is a little bit better. Well, let's, put, let's, let's call it space to space. We don't want to talk about um, which is what most of Mishpatim is about. That's halachic. I leave that to people like Rabbi Fran and Rabbi Reisman. They have those kind of great shiurim where they'll sit there and talk about, you know, halachas of bar and, and, and ash and things like that. And that's not really what our forum is for this evening. We are trying to find, you know, perhaps deeper insults. Uh, uh, two years ago on Pash Mishpatim, we talked about the Avos Nazikin of Ashur and how that relates to our life, which I thought was, uh, was uh, somewhat meaningful. But um, Pash Mishpatim is interesting, and that is you'll take a look in those little Dvar Torah cheating books, and you'll find that most of the Divrei Torah talk about Ebed Ivri right at the beginning of the parasha. And that's because no one's really got the patience to go through any more of it. You know, once you hit those first couple of psukim, that's enough. Alternatively, they'll talk about Nasev and Ishma, which means they skipped all of Pash Mishpatim, and they jump to the end. And, uh, and they go back to the story of Mamad Harsinai. Now, we've mentioned this, I believe, already, and that these are the weeks that are known as Shovavim. These are special weeks of Tshuva, because these are the weeks of Kabbalah Satayra. Shavavim, of course, is the abbreviation for Shmos Ve'era Bo B'Shalach Yisrael Mishpatim. Interestingly, in a leap year, it's Shavavim Tat, and uh, it continues into Trumat Tzava, so two more weeks of uh, excitement. But, um, but Shavavim, right, these are the weeks of Kabbalah Satari. It starts in Parsha Shmos, where HaKadosh Baruch tells Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm taking them out of Mitzrayim, to give them the Torah. And that's the whole Mahalach. The whole Mahalach brings us here, and the reason we normally stop at Mishpatim is because at the end of Pash Mishpatim, at the very end, is the end of the story of Mamad Har Sinai. And that's where it ends. Now, should you be trying to read the story, so you know you come to the end of Pash Mishpatim, and it says, Moshe goes up the mountain, Vayavo Moshe Vesocha Anon, Vayal El Hahar, Vayim Moshe Bahar, Abayim Yom, Vayim Loyla. That's the end of the Parisha. It picks up again in three weeks' time, in Parsha's Kisisa, where after we get through more of this Mishkan stuff, it says, Parsha's Periklamad Aleph, Pasig Yud Ches, V'yitano Moshe Kalos, L'davu Yitro B'Harsinai, Shnuluchas O'edus, L'luches Evan, Ksuvim Be'ezbelikim. Now he gives him the Luchos, which is the continuation of the end of Bajmashpatim. Then we go into the story of the Egel and everything else that goes on to that, and though it ends with Moshe coming down with the second set of Luchos. That's where it should go. Of course, we are interrupted with the Parshios of Trumatitzab. And Rashi explains that this is really here as a kapora for the Egel. And it's out of order. It's out of chronological order. And the truth of the matter is that Shumat Tzavah was really given after the Chet Egel, right? And that's what it's doing over there. The Ramban disagrees. The Ramban says that this really was always meant to be. There was always meant to be a Mishkan. And it was always set up intentionally. And this is the correct order. 
without getting into the thrust of that, but we understand how it goes. Moshe goes up the mountain. When the story picks up, we basically pick up with the story of the Egel. And so Trumatitzave is put in between Moshe going up the mountain and getting the Luchos and the story of the Egel and breaking the Luchos, etc., etc. And Trumatitzave is sandwiched right in the middle of that story, which causes for us a problem. Because let's go to the story in Parshish Kisisa as it is described. Right? We know Moshe Rabbeinu comes down at the end of 40 days. The Jews made a mistake. And they thought the 39th day was the 40th day. And they built an Egel. Moshe comes down on what is in fact the 40th day. And he breaks the Luchos, destroys the Egel, judges the people, goes back up for another 40 days and another 40 nights to get HaKadosh Baruch Hu to forgive the Jewish people. That's the mission of the middle 40 days. And those Jewish people are not sure in those middle 40 days what's going to happen to them and what their fate will be. And Moshe Rabbeinu contends with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in an extremely dramatic way. <laughs> I'm reading from Lamed Bey's Lamed. The next day Moshe says, Atem chatosim Hashem. I'm going to try to get forgiveness for your crime. No question about it. These people did a terrible crime and they built a god of silver. And now, if you forgive their sin, fine. Erase me from the book in which you have written. Of course, we know that that's usually the reason the Balaturim brings it, and others bring it, why Moshe Rabbeinu's name is left out of Parshat Tzavah. Erase me from the book that you have written. There are those who say, because it was the last parasha was, that he just wrote before Kisisa was Tzavah, and that's why Moshe Rabbeinu was removed from there. The Balaturim brings a different reason why he's removed from there, but Right? The, the, Moshe Rabbeinu's words had effect. Those who have sinned will be erased. Go back, talk to the people, you know, don't worry about it. Um, what does he say? My angel will go before you. And when the day comes, we'll settle this account of the ego. As Rashi says, every time we're punished, there's a little bit of ego that's thrown in. Right? But that's what he says. And then, but you give Hashem and then down comes out of Magefa and uh, punishes the people who serve the ego. Right? That's the story. <coughs> Says Rashi, Hine Malachi, my angel will lead you below Ani, and not me. He's going to send a Malach to lead the Nesra. So, what happens as a result of this? Okay, let's go. That's it, we're done here. You know, pack your stuff, we're leaving, we're going into Israel. 
and I will send an angel in front of you. And he'll destroy the six nations. Right? The Girgachi already ran away. Beautiful land that I promised. Because I am not coming with you. Rashi. That's why I say I'm sending my angel because I'm not coming. Right? Why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm helping you out here. You guys are a stiff-necked people. You're stubborn. Yeah? And if I come with you, then uh, it could be that you'll be destroyed. You'll do a sin. And uh, that's it. Here's the Shechina right among you. You guys step out of line. Kaboom! You know, Kush Baruch comes inside. That's how the Sota works. You dissolve Hashem's name, you give it to, to drink, and if there is an avon inside of her, when Hashem's name hits the sin, kaboom! That's what's going to happen if I'm here with you. You guys are stubborn. You'll do an avera, and I'll have to destroy you. So instead, I'll send my malach. So the They hear this, and they mourn. Yeah? And Hashem says, I don't know what they want from me. I'm kshayar. You don't want me. Trust me. Yeah? They take off their crown. And Moshe takes his tent and he sets it up outside of the machina. And when Moshe would go out to the tent, everybody would stand up and watch him go. And when Moshe would come to the tent, yeah, the Anan would come down and Hashem would talk with Moshe. The yeah, and Hashem spoke to Moshe that's the end of the story that is the end of those second 40 days of those middle 40 days now the story picks up What's going on over here? So Rashi explains. Rashi says, I don't want a malach. We're not going with a malach. Yeah? If we have found favor in your eyes, we're going to go. Right? I'm going to go with you. If you don't come with us, I'm not going. We'll stay here in the midbar. Right? Says, Rashi Okay? So this was a real close call for the Jewish people. HaKadosh Baruch was very upset at them. 
and he says, um, I'm not going to lead you anymore. I'm going to send a malach, and the malach is going to lead you. That's what he says. And Moshe Bena says, nope, I don't want a malach. If it's a malach, I'm not going. And we'll stay right here. And the Kodesh Baruch Hu gives in to this as well. And he says, okay. So this is it. This was the story of the malach that almost was. The malach that almost led Klai Yisrael into Eitzel, the, the malach that almost took HaKadosh Baruch Hu's place, and Moshe Rabbeinu besieged HaKadosh Baruch Hu, stormed the gates of heaven, threatened HaKadosh Baruch Hu and said, we don't want an angel, we want you, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu backs down. Okay? And now he goes up for another 40 days and 40 nights, and he comes down with the second set of luchos, and happy ending. Yeah? For at least a year. Anyway, but that's, well, that's an exaggeration, not quite a year. But anyway, but that's, that's the, the playing out of events, right? And so that makes sense to me, right? We talked in years past when we come to Pasha Mishpatim, right? The problematic issue with Pasha Mishpatim is, of course, the first Pasik, the Eile Mishpatim. These are the laws that HaKadosh Baruch Hu um, gives us. Rashi says this was also given in Har Sinai. Whether this was actually given in Har Sinai, whether as the Ramban explains, it's included within the Aseris Adibros, the Abarbanel goes and appoints how exactly it was part of the Aseris Adibros, that's all fine. And we follow through the story as it's moving through, right? We have all of the Mishpatim, and then we have the end of Mamad Har Sinai, and then Truma Tetzavah put in to set the tone in case we know what's going to happen with the ego, and then the story goes. The problem is, when you reach the end of all of those halachas, right, and all of the mishpatim, one after another, and we finish, <coughs> right, Osev HaShel Gediba Chalei is the end, Perekhav Gimel Pasek Chav in mishpatim. Hine Anochi Sholeach Malach Lefanecha I'm going to send a malach to lead you to Eretzel. You better listen to him. He's not going to forgive your sins. You know? He says, call you listen to everything he says, right? He'll go and do your fighting for you. And he will destroy them. Right? A few other halachas over here and a few other promises that are going to take place. I will send the stinging hornets, poison spitting insects that will spit across the river and blind the Knanim. Yeah? And, um, and that's more or less how we end Pash Mishpatim and then we go back to the story of Mamad Hasim. What is this doing here? What is this Malach doing here? And Rashi says, Kan nizbasroi sha'asidin lachtai v'shechina omeris lehem kilo e'alei b'kirbecha. Rashi says, 
This is telling the Jewish people that they're going to sin with the Eger. And Akkadish, well, he doesn't say with the Eger. That the Jewish people are going to sin and the Shekhinah is going to leave them and a Malach is going to lead them into Eretz Shell. And uh, Rashi then goes on to say, he's going to take you to the base of Mikdash. Um, don't rebel against him because he won't forgive your sins. He comes from the group of people who don't sin. He's not me. I can forgive your sins, but he's, he's just a shliach. He just does what he's told. Because my name is attached to him. Be careful because my name is attached to him and the Chazal and Sanhedrin explain that this is the Malach Metatrim Shashmo Kishem Rabbi because Metatrim Gematria is Shatai. Both of them are 314. What a strange thing to stick in right over here. I'm telling you before, before Moshe even goes up the mount, I understand you want to tell me Truma Tetzavah. Truma Tetzavah, okay, you tell me that the Jews are going to sin and then they're going to have to, um, they're going to have to uh, build a Mishkan, so we set up the Mishkan, we send the, the, the Refuah before the market. Okay, I can, I can hear that. But here you're telling me, before Moshe even went up the mountain, that the Jews are going to sin and and why would you tell it to them now? What did they do now? They haven't done anything. I just, we just sat through all parts of the spot that we deserve a medal for that. You understand? Instead, you tell me you guys are going to send, I'm going to leave you and send a malach? The Ramban asked this kasha, and the Ramban asked another kasha. Namely, what's even stranger is, it never happens. Okay, Rashi wants to say, by Truman Tetzava, that he comes to tell us about the Mishkan because it's a kapara for the ego. And now we have to set it up. And that, in fact, takes place. And that becomes the Makamash Rosh Hashkina and Klai But here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us about a threat that a Malach is going to lead us. And it never happens. Why come and tell me about a punishment that we're going to get that we never get? It never happens. Not only does it never happen, but uh, but to take it a step further, the uh, what does Moshe Rabbeinu say anything? You see, Moshe Rabbeinu gets very upset. A Kush Baruch who says, "Listen, I'm 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 going to do you a big favor, Moshe, because I like you, and I won't destroy all of Klai Yisrael. I'll forgive them, but I'm not going to go anymore in the middle of Klai Yisrael, and I'm not going to be Hashras Shchinasi." I'm going to send the Malach. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, absolutely not. I want you. And if not you, we're not going. That's it. You and no Malach. And he says, okay. You got it. You got it. And here, because Baruch Hu tells him, you're going to sin, and I'm going to leave you, and the Malach's going to leave you. And Moshe Shashtu. Moshe doesn't say anything. Absolutely amazing. There's another problem here that everybody's trying to figure out, and that is, who is this Malach? Rashi tells us it's Metatrim. Now, this is interesting because a number of the Mepharshim point out that in Sefi Yoshua, Sefi Yoshua, for 
for the benefit of the, of the gentleman, this is after the Torah. There's this whole thing called Nach, and there's a whole bunch of books there. <laughs> this is often you'll find this in the Haftaras. So uh, you won't know where they come from. Anyway, one of the first ones is Yoshua, and Yoshua is beginning his battle for the capture of Yericho. Yoshua Parakei. A man is standing across from him. And the sword is drawn in his hand. Have you come? You a bad guy? I'm a malach. Now I have come. Right, and so the Malach says, That's that's it. That's the whole story. What's this guy doing here? Where, where does Malach come? It says Rashi. Ata bossi. Why? To help you. Because nobody can go and destroy the wall of Yericho. I came when Moshe Rabbeinu was around. He didn't want me. Nope. So therefore he chased me away. Now I'm coming. Yeah? Yisrael Hashem. Umichael Hoya, Rashi says. Shudema Umichael Sarachem. Now it's Michael. Michael, who is the guardian angel of Kaiyusel. Everybody gets a guardian angel. He's ours. But here Rashi tells us that the Malach that Hashem threatened to send us, that Hashem chased away, that Moshe chased away, was Matatra. Now, over here in Yoshua, he tells us Michael. Al-Khazal discuss who exactly it was. There are those who say it was Mikhail. There are those, the Gemara and Sanhedrin, that says Matatra. The Ramban brings another Medrash who says it was Gabriel. And, uh, and everyone's got what to rely on. The Balaturim says, yeah, then when he says, on the Pasuk, Says Malachi. Malachi are the same letters as Michael. The Chanukah Satayra has a beautiful thing where he says in Yeshua, Now I've come. Till now I couldn't come because Moshe chased me away. And Kolzman, that Moshe was there, I couldn't come. And therefore, he says, if you take a look in the Simon, for Parshas Tetzaveh, you know at the end of every parasha, it tells us how many psukim are there, and there's a simon that uh, is given al-pimasayra, that there's a word that equals v'gematria, how many psukim there are. And the simon for Tetzaveh is Mechayel. Says the, says the Chanukah Satayra, that's because Moshe is not in Parshas Tetzaveh. So since Moshe's not there, Michal could be there. But once Moshe comes back, Michal's got to get out of there because he's not allowed to stay there. Calls mind that uh, Moshe's there. Beautiful. But in any event, there's a lot of problems here. So let's deal first with easy explanations. 
Halavai, we could just work with easy explanations. Um, the Bechor Shor says, <laughs> asking the questions, it can't mean a real Malach, because Hashem didn't threaten to do that until they built the Ega. And besides, Moshe would have died to get rid of it. All the questions we just asked. So he says, when it says Malach, it means a Navi. And in fact, you see that Moshe Rabbeinu is referred to as a Malach later on in Parshmid Midbar, when he says, I'll send a Malach, he says, I'm talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. So he says, it's a Navi. The Chizkuni, who is a Talmud of the Bechor Shor, says, specifically, it's Yoshua. When he says, I'm going to send a Malach before you and he's going to lead you in, it doesn't mean a Malach Malach. It means a, a man Malach. It means a messenger. And the Malach I'm going to send is a Navi, specifically Yoshua, and he's going to lead you in. And that solves all our problems. Or Hashem. The uh, um, Rabbi Rabbi Chaya, uh, Rabbi Rabbi Chaya? Somebody brings up Shai. Oh, the uh, the past. No, I don't know. Anyway, he says, I didn't write it down, but he says that, um, he says that it's really, Moshe didn't complain because Moshe knew that he's referred to as the Malach in Bamidbar. And so he thought he was talking about him. And what threw Moshe off was the fact when Hashem said, yeah, so Rashi explains that that's why it's Matatrin because the Gematria he's Shakai right but how did HaKadosh Baruch Hu introduce himself to Moshe he said I'm going back to Pashas Vaera Vaera Abba Yisrael Yaakov Vakel Shakai Kale Shakai in Gematria is Moshe. So when he searched Shmi Bekirbam, he assumed, of course, it was Kale Shakai, which is, of course, Moshe. Well, that makes sense. So he's telling them, tell them that I'm going to send my Malach to lead you, which later in Bamidba we find he's referring to Moshe. He assumed the same thing over here. When Akush Baruch Hu said, I'm not coming and I'm going to send the Malach, that's when Moshe says, wait a second, I didn't get this the first time. You slipped this one past me. You understand? So those are those are some of the different positions that we have, and according to those we've shown, it works out very good. But according to Rashi, why are we saying this now? What are we bringing this in now for? And uh, and why is it referring to, you know, we have a little confusion as to who this Malach is. So the Ramban has a whole other approach, and a number of the Mefarshim work with the Ramban's approach to understand what's going on over here. And that's the following. When we talk about the fact that a Kodesh Baruch Hu says he's going to send the Malach, Moshe doesn't get upset. Because there are two different types of Malachim. There's a Malach who comes with the Hashras Hashchina, who comes with HaKodesh Baruch Hu, so to speak. Shem doesn't go alone. Goes down to Mitzrayim. He brings a whole bunch of people with him. You know, Malachim are coming. There's a Malach that's coming that's representational of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. That's fine. And then there's a Malach that comes without HaKodesh Baruch Hu. Says the Ramban, 
at the beginning over here, the malach that we were talking about is the malach that comes with the Shekhinah Hashem. And Moshe had no problem about that. But when Hashem says in Kisisa, I'm not coming and I'm going to send a malach, and he's going to go and fight the battles. So that's a whole different story. What's going on over there? He says, I'm not going to send the malach I was going to send originally. I'm sending a malach who's going to go and fight. And he says, that's Gavriel. Gavriel is the one who fights. Gavriel is the one who punishes. He's the one who will go and destroy. And I'm not coming. And that Moshe Rabbeinu said, we, I refuse to accept. And the Rambani uses a fascinating lotion. He says, and the and Moshe Rabbeinu was going to be the malamokom of that malach until he returns to fight in Yericho. And there he says, it's Gavriel. Not like Rashi says, Mechav. So, there's two different types of malachim. There's a malach who comes representing a Kurdish Baruch Hu, and a malach who comes is not. <coughs> the Nitziv developed this. And he explains what, he, what the Ramban is talking about. And he says there's two different ways that a person can, or that a king works. A king will send a whole bunch of uh, people who are going to be to representing him in various positions throughout the kingdom. He'll have a person who's an officer in charge of this, he'll have somebody who's in charge of that. He has people who are uh, you know, keyed him on this and keyed him on that. But then there's somebody who is the king's man. You know? Perhaps the king's personal representative, perhaps the king's prime minister, call it what you will. And that is the role that Metatron plays up in Shemayim. His Shmo is like the name of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, that he represents a Kodesh Baruch Hu and handles everything. He's, he is a Kodesh Baruch Hu's main man, and a Kodesh Baruch Hu basically is coming through him. But then there's somebody that he sends, just as a messenger. And a Kodesh Baruch Hu's not involved, he's just an average sort of a fellow, if you can say such a term by a Malach. He's an average sort of a messenger. The Malm develops this, by the way, fascinating. He says, you see, by Gidon, the Gidon, when the Malach came, he didn't know what this Malach was. And so he says, can I be mocker of you a carbon? And he says, no, if you want to be mocker of a carbon, be mocker of a carbon to Hashem. So then he said, aha, this is not a Malach with Ashura Sashchina. This is just an ordinary Malach. Just an ordinary guy. And so therefore, when he thought he was getting a Malach, that was going to be somebody who was actually going to be leading them with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is what it sounds like in Pashat Mishpatim, we don't have a problem. But when you tell us that this is uh, a Malach is going to come without HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's when Moshe puts his foot down. And evidently he's able to succeed in chasing him away, he calls him on that he's alive. Once he's dead, Yehoshua does not have this power. And this Malach returns and he says, now I've come back. Moshe could get rid of me, but you can't. So those are the general mahalchim. There's one more relatively technical point we have to solve. And then we have to see why we're doing this. Which I know must be the question that has occurred to most of you by now. Yeah? Not to take away from the fascinating aspects of this. But Let's go with Rashi. Rashi says, this is a Besaira. 
that Bnei Yisrael is going to sin, and therefore Hashem is going to send a Malach now. So, why would you give this now? Yeah? What is this Pesayra? How come Moshe doesn't respond to it? According to Rashi, why does it Moshe to respond to it? So the Oznayim Latayra says, because Moshe was very comfortable with this. So was B'nai Yisrael. Because here, the Jews are standing at Har Sinai. They have reached the level of Odom Arishim Kodom They are at the highest level that humanity has ever been able to achieve since the Garden of Eden. And he says to them, here are the laws I expect you to keep. And here's a whole collection of laws covering every aspect of life. And I have to tell you that if you don't keep this, then I'm not going to stay with you and Amalekh is going to follow you. Says Yosna Yom Tzairah. Never occurred to them that they were going to do a chait. We? I have to tell you, this is the question everybody asks, and we've talked about this in the past. How could the door that heard a Kurdish Baruch who speak in Har Sinai, how could the people that said the Kurdish Baruch opened up all of the Shemayim, all the Rikis, showed them everything? How could they do a chait? They had the same question. Us? Do a chait? Us? Do something wrong? Not a chance. So when he told them, by the way, if you do something wrong, you know you're going to have the Shekhinah leave you. It never occurred to them that that was going to happen. They didn't even think that it was going to be something they would have to deal with. Yeah? And that's why Moshe didn't, didn't uh, respond. But say that, but why did the Kodesh Baruch choose Dafka this? I'm going to remove my Shekhinah from you. Why is that? So there are a number of positive approaches to this. And it's always nice to get a positive approach. But Moshe Feinstein says, he's telling you that if you do something wrong, I'm going to send a malach. Why? Because although a malach can't forgive your sins, a malach doesn't have the power to destroy you either. Therefore, if you were to do an Avera, what does Rashi say? He says he's going to lead you to build the base of Mikdash, not to Israel, to build the base of Mikdash. What happened in the future when Bnei Yisrael sins? HaKadosh Baruch Hu pours forth his wrath against Eitzim Vavonim and destroys the base of Mikdash. He says, if I'm not there, I'll send the Malach, the Malach will destroy. If I'm there, if you're on such a high level, then I won't be able to destroy the base of Mikdash, I'll have to destroy you. You understand? And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't lead them into Israel, because if Moshe Rabbeinu led them into Israel, they never would be able to destroy the base of Mikdash. That's the reason, parenthetically, the Medrash says that David and Melech didn't build the base of Mikdash. Right? He says, uh, you know, it says, your hands are filled with dam, and he says, they're all your enemies who I killed. And he says, no, 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 that's not the reason. The real reason is because if you built the base of Mikdash, I can never destroy it. When Klayesho sins, I have to destroy them. And that's why when he got permission from the Navi to build the Beis Hamikdash, she quickly ran out and laid the foundation for the Kaiso Ravi, the Western Wall, and that's why that will always stand. It's not going to be destroyed. So um, now this was some of the power that somebody like David Melech, Moshe Rabbeinu. So he says, "Don't worry, I won't be there. I'll send the Malach. This way, if you guys are, are on the, you know, going down, you won't be destroyed." The uh, the Aznaim Lotaira gives a very positive spin to it that's, that's absolutely beautiful. There's a concept. The concept is that the Kaddish Baruch Hu gives you a promise 
you'll get that promise. Unless you do a chayt, and then you'll lose it. We all know this. Right? The Quran Rosh Hashanah says that it's decided how much money you're going to make this year, and the only reason you don't get it is because you do a chayt and you lose it. But otherwise, you know, you just, you don't have to do a lot of hishtadlis in order to be able to collect your money for the year. Right? So the story goes. That sometimes when things got really bad, he had no choice. He had to do some hishtadlis, so he went outside and looked in the street for money, and he always found. He always found. That for him was hishtadlis, that was enough. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could make your, um, you know, the amount of hishtadlis you have to do is just to stick your kli out the window and scoop up your mon. That's, that's all you'd have to do. That would be enough hishtadlis. You know? And assuming that, you know, we were on that madrega. For now, we have a few more. But what you're supposed to get, you're supposed to get. Then the chet can mess it up. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives all these promises to Yaakov. And when he hears that Esav is coming, he says, V'yira Yaakov, Yaakov gets very afraid. Why? Because he's afraid he might have done a chait and lost the promise. You lose the promise. But, says the Azna'im, when it's a promise to Klai Yisrael as a nevuah, when there's a nevuah, that you can't mess up. That's going to be forever. Yeah? So, until now, we've only been promised Yisrael through Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Which means if we mess up, we can lose it. It's an individual promise. And here HaKadosh Baruch Hu is laying the foundation for the possibility we're going to do a chait. And he says, I'm going to send a malach if you do something wrong. And he's going to bring you into Eretzel. And he will destroy the Knanim. And he will lead you in. This promise can never be broken, he says. An absolutely fascinating concept. I, it's a tremendous chidosh. Nobody says this. The Nachos Yaakov, the Nesivas, says a also interesting idea. He says, I'm going to send the Malach, and the Malach is going to take care of you. What does that mean? At this point, he didn't tell him that there wouldn't be a Hashra Sashchina. He says, if necessary, I will send the Malach to be your babysitter. And he will sit there the whole time and tell you, don't do this, don't do that, stop that. He can't take away your Bechira. But boy, he can nag you to the point that you just won't do anything wrong. If you don't need him, don't worry, I won't send him. But if you do something wrong, that's what I'm going to send. Right? Okay. So, these are all of our various approaches. But let's try to understand what the difference is between these three malachim. I have to tell you, there are years of material here for us to talk about. And there's so many different directions I could go in. But, um, but we're, we're, we're going to just try to put the pieces together. That's all I've been trying to do. I, there's so many people talking about this in so many different directions. The Abarbanel wrote an entire sefer on this, and he first goes through slugging up every other approach. And the Malbim says, you know, uh, the Abarbanel went and he answered up everybody's approach, but I'll tell you yeah, the truth, his answer is no better than theirs. You know, and he knocks off the Abarbanel and gives his own answer. You know, it's just absolutely amazing how challenging this is to everybody to figure out who this Malach is in Mishpatim and what he's doing here. Yeah? So, let, let's understand, and we, we basically explain these things for a moment. We talked about this also a little bit on Parshat Bamidba years ago. Right? And we talked about the Klai Yisrael wanted to set up their Machana like they saw at Har Sinai, where they saw the four archangels 
Michael, Gavriel, Uriel, and Raphael, each one of them on one of the four sides of the camp. Each one of them had a degel, had a flag. They wanted a flag. They wanted to set themselves up like the Malachim, etc. So what was going on over there? Yeah? So it means that there's different forces that a Kurdish Baruch Hu uses to run the world. When we talk about a Malach, we're talking about exactly that, a messenger. It's a force. HaKadosh Baruch Hu uses forces. And in fact, right after he talks about this, and he says, I'm going to send this malach, etc., etc., he throws in this other line, which is related. Yeah? He says, when you go in there, um, This is translated as hornets or wasps. Or I don't know what it is. But it's some sort of a flying insect. And it spits poison and kills them. Now, no one has a problem with the fact that he's going to send these poisonous flying insects to spit poison on them. That's okay. We're okay with that. We don't say, oh, chase away the tzira. We're all right with that. If a Baruch Hu wants to open up the earth and swallow them alive, send down fire and burn them up, send a hurricane and blow them away, we're okay. Nobody's complaining about that. But that's no different than a malach. That's merely a force that a Kurdish Baruch Hu sends. It's absolutely amazing that Spain was the most powerful country on the face of the earth. And shortly after they decided to kick the Jews out, they put together this tremendous Spanish armada to be able to invade England. And basically, it was destroyed by a storm. That's mostly what happened. You know? The... Um, was it uh, Kublai Khan? I think it was. Decided to invade Japan. And he put together like a million men or something like that. And then a big storm came and sank all the boats. So he put together a bigger force. Another storm came and sank all the boats. After a while, he realized it really wasn't that good night to go to Japan. But, um, you know, so you want to send a, uh, they, that storm, by the way, was called a kamikaze, which is where that term comes from. You want to send a big storm and blow them up? That's fine. You want to send an earthquake? You want to send the tzira, these flying insects, to poison, that's fine. You want to send a malach to shoot them, that's also okay. What, was, what they were objecting to was the malach coming and the Kodesh Baruch Hu not coming. It was a lack of this hashroas hashchina that was the concern. Metatron, evidently, is the person up in Shemayim, or the being up in Shemayim that controls everything. He's a Kodesh Baruch Hu's, you know, uh, uh, personal, personal uh, uh, associate. He's the one who basically runs things. Michal and Gavriel represent something else. Gavriel represents Midas Adin, and Michal usually represents Midas Arachne. Gavriel is usually the one who goes out to punish, and um, Michal is the one who usually comes to defend Klai In fact, one of the Mepharshim point out that he says, I'm going to send my Malach, and he's not going to forgive your sins. He says, even though that's what Michal does, but I'm not going to let him. You understand? Because he's just a shaliach and he does whatever I tell him. It means the following, at least on some level. And, uh, and that's why Metatron has the same name as Shakai. What's Shakai? Name of Hashem? Sha'omar Dai, who says enough. It also has a certain understanding of Midas Adin. And therefore, really, if you're going with the Ramban, it's interesting that whether it's Metatron or whether it's Gavriel, it's two Malochim who represent Din, but one's with Hashra Shashchina and one's not. Uh, what does that mean? 
It means how much of it, when we go into Eretzel, when we get Eretzel, when we get the uh, result of what we're supposed to get, is going to come about through Midas Hadin. And how much of it comes about through Midas Arachim. The people were very lucky after they built the Egev. Because Baruch forgave them. He says he wasn't going to destroy them. He says that, uh, you know, they, they were, they were you know, uh, uh, even though they broke the bris, they were going to be saved. But from now on, they get a Malach to lead them. Yeah? They get somebody who is going to uh, handle things for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch himself wouldn't be there anymore. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm doing you a favor. Because if I'm there and you mess up, then you'll be destroyed. Let's put this into other terms. Yeah? If you have a relationship that's extremely intense, extremely intense, right? Marriage. And a person is unfaithful to their spouse. So, in this week's parish, we know that that carries the death penalty. That's extremely serious. Let's say you have a friend. You're unfaithful to your friend. No. Not nice. You know, might hurt the relationship. Might not, depending on the nature of the relationship. We don't really care that much. You know what I mean? I could have says, listen, you don't want to be married to me. You just want to be a good friend. That's okay. I'll send the malach. He'll help you out. I'll be there to take care of you. I'll watch out for you. But there won't be a You don't need me there. You don't need me there. I'll take you to Eretzra. I'll give you Eretzra. I'll protect you from your enemies. I'll destroy them. I'll give you everything. You'll give, you'll get all kinds of good stuff, but you don't need me there. You don't want me. You want to make sure you get the good stuff. You want to make sure you're taken care of. And I'll do that for you. Don't worry about it. But not the Hashras Hashchina. This point is something we've spoken about in the past, but it's something that bears so much repetition because it is so an unbelievable concept. At Harsinai, we married HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He held the mountain over our head like a chuppah. He brought shoshlinan. He, uh, he, the whole thing was is compared to a chuppah over and over again. I don't know if I mentioned this, but uh, somebody said to me once, I can't understand the same, the same chazal that is used to say he held the mountain over our head like a chuppah is also used to say Baruch Hu held the mountain over our head with a threat to destroy us. How could the same chazal mean something so beautiful and at the same time mean something so frightening? I said, I can tell you haven't been married. Because if you were married, you understand immediately it's the same exact thing. You understand? Nobody gets married without realizing that there is a mountain hanging over their head. Very often when I teach girls, so sometimes, you know, uh, I'm, I'm invited to speak at the Vart, you know, and so I'm on the men's side, of course, you know, sitting next to this nice chosen, you know, and and uh, it, it, it never fails. All I have to do is say something like, you know, and it's so beautiful, you're getting married, and marriage is forever, forever, and ever, and ever, and the sweat starts pouring out of your face. <laughs> turns white, you know, and then another collar's beaming, she thinks it's so cute. But why? Because nobody, you understand, if I'm getting married, there's a mountain hanging over my head, nobody gets married with five-year option of renewal, you know what I mean? Let's check this out. Let's see. This is forever, 24-7. It's not a, you know, you don't, have a, you don't have an option to come home or not to come home. You don't have an option to be there or not to be there. 
Not if you want to have a good marriage. If you have a bad marriage, it's not a problem. You know, someone told me once, that's the secret to shalom bias. Shalom bias. You know what I mean? Like, you know, also an approach, you know? But uh, not a good marriage. A guy told me once, who's absolutely amazing, he says, my wife is so unreasonable. So I get up in the morning, I take the train to Manhattan, I work a whole day, very late at night, because I'm just starting my career. And I get home, I'm so tired, I just want to take a shower, have something to eat and go to sleep. My wife is so inconsiderate, she wants to talk to me. Terrible. You don't believe it? She says, yeah, what do I do? I said, you stick to your guns and you'll find out eventually she won't want to talk to you either. <laughs> now, he knew there was something wrong with this, but he wasn't sure what exactly. You know, I had all the trouble putting his finger on it. Why? Because you can have a marriage. You're not going to have a marriage. You're going to have a marriage. You can have two people working together, two people working towards common goals, two people agreeing, you know, to, to whatever. But hashros hashchina, it's going to be a marriage. So Kirshbaruch who says, listen, you know, th- th- there's, there's more than one place where Avodah is compared to Gilead Rayas. Right? You know, idolatry and adultery. There's, uh, yeah, there's different places where it's compared. You know? You are faithful, that's it. So I'm doing you a favor. I'm not going to have you killed. But don't expect me to stick around. Don't expect me to stay here. I'm out of here. Says the Kirshbaruch. Well, send the malach and I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. And B'nai Israel says, no. We don't want a malach to take care of us. We want to get that intense relationship back. But you understand, that intense relationship is probably going to be in Midas Hadin. Because if it's not in Midas Hadin, it says something very powerful about the relationship. And it means that the relationship is one that is not between equals. It means that I'm not going to hold you to a sense of responsibility. It doesn't mean that I'm going to react to you like an adult. I'll treat you like a child. Okay, that's fine. Doesn't really matter. There are people who have relationships like this. It's always depressing to watch, but you can see it, you know? You know, I can't handle things. There's not much for me. It doesn't matter which one's whining. It could be anybody. You know. I'm no, that's okay. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. Are you sure? Yeah. But I feel like you don't respect me. No, no, I respect you. Yes, very nice. Yeah, oh, yes, you're very, very big. You are very big. That's right. I'm very proud of you. you know. So you can have a, a, a relationship that's based on that, but that's not a relationship between equals. Understand that a marriage cannot be between an Eved and an Adam. A marriage has to be between two equals. And if a person is not an equal, that means that we have to raise our level up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what we had to go through. So when HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us, listen, and if you step out of line, you know, and you don't want to have this intense relationship, well, you're not capable of it. So I'll send the malach to take care of you, and we'll have a, you know, a, a parent-child relationship, if that's what you prefer. Moshe Rabbeinu says, no. When, it, when push comes to shove, Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, I'll stay here. What do you mean you'll stay here? What do you mean you'll stay here? The Malach's going to come back once you're dead, Moshe. That's okay. The Kolzman that went in the Midbar, Kolzman that I'm here, I'll be the Malach. Yeah? Kel Shakai is Moshe Gematria. I'll take that role. Unbelievable Gemara in the Durham for those uh, Dafyomi people in the audience. Yeah? Absolutely astounding concept. HaKadosh Baruch Hu only gave the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu. 
And Moshe Rabbeinu decided to give it to the rest of Chai Yisrael. Right? He gave it to Moshe Ubanov. That's what the Gemara says. What did the Sukkim say? We just read this in Parashas Kisisa. Where he comes and he says, Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, I'm not going to stay here anymore. Right? And therefore, what does he do? He takes a tent and he sets it up outside of the machina. This is, these psukim are so drip with pathos. Moshe would get up and leave and he took his tent and he set it up outside the machna and he says, I'll be out there with Hashem if you need me. Okay, I'll come back. Don't worry. But now me and Hashem are going to go and like, you know, hang out together. You guys stay here. Don't worry about it. Don't worry, there's a malach coming for you. And he said, don't worry about it. You guys will be fine, you know? And he goes out and everybody stands up and they watch him go. And they watch the cloud come down. And they see Moshe having this unbelievable experience and they say, we used to have that. We used to have that. Hashem spoke to Moshe, Panim el Panim, and he says, I will take my Hashuras Hashchina and give that to Kla Yisrael. I will take the Torah that you're going to give me and I'll give it to Kla Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm not going to be this Malach that's going to lead them. I'm going to be part and parcel of Bnei Yisrael. I'm going to stay with them. I'm going to be involved with them. I'm going to, I'm going to bring them in. Gemara and Baruch says, Moshe Davin for, you know, for, for that, that the Shekhinah should never leave Kala Yisrael. And Hashem gave it to him. And he says, and it should never go on the Umas Olam. Because the Ashwara means that we have that special relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Not that anybody can go pick it up, I get asked that question sometimes. They say, you know, um, can a non-Jew go to Olam Haba? I said, sure. Shevah Mitzvah say, no, do the seven, go to heaven. Not a problem, you know? He says, but will a guy who keeps the Shevah Mitzvah get the same reward as a Jew? I said, I hope not. I'm doing 613, he's doing seven. Don't you think I deserve something more? You know? He says, but then it's not fair. I said, no problem. You want to convert, you can convert. You want to convert? No. Okay, so what do you want from me? So you do seven, you'll get the same reward. But some of the seven, you want to be a friend with the Kaddish Baruch well, that's fine. But you want to have this level of Hashras Hashchina? You want to be married to Hakadosh Baruch Hu? Then it's 24/7. Then it's a total system. Then it's not a little bit here or there. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Calls man that I'm here. At least I can do that. I can make sure that Hashras Hashchina. I have all of Klai Yisrael gets. I had a fascinating discussion with somebody recently. A frustrating discussion, but fascinating nonetheless. How do you know there's really spirituality in Judaism, he asked me. Maybe we just think we're having a spiritual experience. Now, there's no question about it. A person can definitely trick themselves into thinking they're having a spiritual experience. There's no question about that. Anybody who's ever put on tefillin, 
thinking they were getting a very deep ex, you know, experience and they had them checked and found that they were puzzled. I don't mean like there was a psul, like I mean like there was a parasha missing, you know what I mean, or something like that, you know, or some other thing, that there was some obvious psul that you just didn't realize. And you thought you were putting it on and having this wonderful experience and you weren't, you know? So I'm not talking about something like that. I'm talking about a person who's really doing everything 100% and they really are feeling something. He says, who says you can feel something? Maybe you really can't feel anything. He says. I said, so what about Nevoah? What's Nevoah? He says, okay, Nevoah. <laughs> but besides that. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. Besides that. You're right. It means that we can reach a level where we reach ourselves up that we approach a Kodesh Baruch Hu upon him, upon him. It means that we reach a point where there's a Hashros Hashchina where we want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be in our lives that we can feel it. Not just we just do mitzvahs and collect the points. We want to be able to feel HaKadosh Baruch Hu for real. The reason people go to David and the Kaisal is only because you get close to the Hashros Hashchina. Somebody told me they asked Sternbach. They said, "What if you've been in Yerushalayim for thirty days and you and you haven't been to the Kaisa? And he says, "What?" He says, "Oh, I guess not everybody feels it." He said, "I guess if you haven't really felt it, so then you know you feel like you're talking to the wall. So like, what's the big deal? You know what I mean? So I could talk to the wall over here too. You know what I mean? That's an old joke. You know what I mean? I dive by the Kaisa in my room right over there. You know what I mean? I the Kaisa. Sure, because to me that Kaisa is no different than the Kaisa over there. It's the same wall." No, it makes no difference. That wall, this wall, well, I, don't, I don't feel anything. You know? Kaiso didn't want to just get good stuff. They wanted to feel Hashras Hashkina. They wanted to feel HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that means that we could get everything, but if we don't get that, then we're getting, we're not satisfied. Moshe Rabbeinu was ready to stand up and say, forget it. Uh, it's not good enough for us. We'll stay right here. We won't go anywhere. We won't go anywhere. I want you, Hakadosh Baruch Hu. I don't want a malach. I don't want something else. I want. To, I understand that carries a certain danger with it. The higher level that you reach spiritually brings with it more risk. There's no question about it. But what's the alternative? There are people who are too frightened by a relationship to ever get involved in a relationship. Never. I've met people like this. So now what? And they never they never get into a real serious relationship because they're afraid. You know, every time they start getting too intense, they run away. But they're missing out on something pretty intense, something good. That is a danger. It's a danger. You can you can you know get hurt. It's true. And we understand that the closer we come to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, there is that danger we can get hurt. But what's the alternative? Not to have that close relationship with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. That. Klai Yisrael was not prepared to accept. And they came to Moshe Rabbeinu and demanded, you see how you go off into that tent and the cloud comes down and the Kodesh Baruch Hu talks to you, that's what we want. And Moshe said, okay, I'll give you mine. I'll share it with you. And we will join together to be able to have this level of relationship. That's the intense level of relationship that Klai Yisrael is trying to get. That we're, that we're shooting for to be able to accomplish. <sighs> the tragedy is that, you know, so many of us are content to do mitzvahs. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you should. I'm in favor. But we do mitzvahs like we do mitzvahs. We do actions. We, we 
do ritual. Paul wrote, a person who davens and doesn't understand that this is an opportunity to connect HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to feel HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A person can keep Shabbos and feel this Kedusha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu on Shabbos. A person can go into, can learn Torah and you can touch the mind of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and move ourselves up into this experience. Or we can do it like busy work and learn it like we learn any other subject and we can say the words and go through the motions I have to tell you I've seen marriages like that too and it's sad but when you have the opportunity of that's something we don't let slip out of our hands and so it, it's Rashi's telling us this before he goes up onto the mountain and that's immediately followed by Truma Tzadah because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says no matter what happens we have to have a place build me a house and I will stay there with you I'll, I'll end maybe with this beautiful story it's a Hasidic story I heard it from a Litvisher Mashiach so I guess it's okay you understand? if you're Hasidic you don't need this introduction but if you're not so I to, you know evidently I'm really bad with these names I think it was the Magid I think it was the Magid and I think it was Reb Zusha and the Rebbe El Melech who were brothers yeah am I there okay and they went to see the Magid because they were they were misnagim. they were regular ordinary Jews you know so what's going on here with this whole thing so they listened to the Magid and the Magid's talking about you know Pashas Truma and they said to him, nah, that's when there was a Mesa Mikdash. Right? There was a Makom where the Nevoah could come out from, where the Shechina could come out from, and then every Jew could access it. But that was no Mesa Mikdash. And the Magid said to them, and this is what inspired them to become Chassid. I come in two weeks and I find people dressed differently. I'll understand why. But this is the story. <clears throat> so he says, you know, the king was, uh, was going out to battle against his enemies. And uh, he's out in the woods leading his troops. And his people are looking for a place for the king to spend the night. And they knock on the hut, this little hut in the woods. And this simple peasant comes out and he sees the king's men, you know, there. And he says, are you a loyal servant of the king? He says, yes, I've always been a loyal servant of the king. Would you be willing to host the king for this evening? He looks around at his dirt floor, his bed, which is a pile of straw, you know, his unfinished wooden table, his simple food. He says, uh, I tell you the truth, I wasn't really prepared for royal company. You know what I mean? I, you know, I would have gone out and, uh, you know, bought something. You know, I, it's not, not too fancy. He says, my friend, if you were living in the capital, near the king's palace and you wanted to host the king, you're right. He wouldn't come here. You know, he'd have to find some sort of a giant palace to host him and you'd have to have servants create the finest food, etc. But right now the king has a choice between here or sleeping on the forest floor. So if you've got a clean pile of straw and you can clean out like one little space there, like, you know, 
because I know you usually have the you know the the chickens and the and the, and, the, and, the, and the cows and everything running around the house. You know, take them out. You know, clean up one little section, put in a clean pile of straw, and you can host the king. And says the says the Magid, if you could find in your heart to clean out one little tiny section for Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Hakadosh Baruch Hu's his Shechina is in Golis with us. The Shechina came with us. But also we make that the Shechanti B'Saycham, the so-called Echad B'Bnei Yisrael. Every one of us could be that host to have the Shechina inside of us. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu was demanding. This is what Klai Yisrael was demanding. It's not enough that we get all of the bracha. We want to have HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and if we don't, then, then we, we're prepared to stay in the Midbar. We have to make sure that we have that Hashrash Hashchina in our life, that we bring HaKadosh Baruch Hu in. That's what makes everything Mirza Hashem worthwhile. Have a good book. Mirza, <coughs> next year will be in two weeks at 8 o'clock. A good job. Pleasure. <coughs>